so much beauty this morning. And I'll say, don't worry, the second half is coming after this. <laughs> now, some of you know the story of how it is that I came to join you here at First Universalist Church, but for me, it's a story that bears repeating. It's a story that has all kinds of lessons in it for me still. Now, before we moved to Minnesota, almost two years ago, we lived in Rochester, New York, out in western New York, where we had a pretty fabulous life, I must say. I was serving a church that I loved and that loved me back. My wife, Loretta, had built and nurtured a circle of friends for us. We had a new baby and a young son and a pretty nice community. Now, it had taken years for all of this to come about. You see, when we moved out to western New York, we thought, oh, maybe a year maybe two, three tops will be there. It was going to be a transition time, we thought. But we got there, and something that I hadn't expected happened. The relationship between me and the congregation grew. The relationship between me and my colleagues, our relationships in that town and that city grew. And after a while, we put down roots. We finally bought a house. We planted a garden, which is a big deal for me. We planted that garden, and we thought, all right, this is it. We are settling in to Rochester. Now still, we traveled to Minnesota often. Loretta had lived here all her life in St. Paul before we moved to New York, and I had dear friends and mentors here, and we typically visited over Thanksgiving. Now, 2011 was no different. We came for Thanksgiving and spent time with our dear friends who feel like family. We had a great time, and we got our usual day after Thanksgiving invitation to this sing-along birthday party that we almost always go to. And I'll admit, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with this sing-along birthday party we get invited to. I love singing, and I love singing with a crowd, but it is always packed. You can hardly get through the room. It is so crowded, and I am an introvert, and I just it's a little overwhelming, to say the least. And this year, the party was going to be even bigger than usual. It was a special birthday year in addition to just being a giant festivities. And we were tired. We had an infant and a young son at that point. And we figured, all right, we'll pop in, sing a couple songs, and get out and head off on our way. So we arrived at this party. And true enough, people were streaming in from like blocks away. And we got there, and it was packed, and we decided we'd try to find a little space for ourselves. We carved out a nook in the sunroom that was right next to the living room, and got Loretta and the kids kind of settled in in the sunroom, and they were playing and hanging out, and I popped my head out to go sing a few songs with the crowd. So I sang, and it was great, and I put my head back around the corner thinking, all right, time to go now. But there was Henry, our son, playing with a little boy named Tucker, and they were having a blast. And there was Loretta, my wife, talking to Juliana, and they were talking about social work stories and what it's like to be married to a minister. And before I knew it, there was Justin's family connecting with my family, and they were having a great time and a good conversation, and my plan to leave was totally thwarted. All I could do in that moment was turn and talk to Justin. So <laughs> there we were at this party, and we ended up having this conversation. Now, I had known Justin a little bit before then. We'd interned at the same congregation, and I had heard him preach at a minister's gathering and just respected him tremendously. But honestly, I hadn't come to the party to talk shop. I had come for a vacation, and I knew that you all were in search for a new minister. I knew that Reverend Kate Tucker was retiring, and 
I knew that that was probably on his mind. It would be if I were him. And so I knew about this position that was open here at First Universalist, and I had pushed it away. I knew that you had a theology that matched mine perfectly. I knew you were a vibrant, amazing congregation doing good work in the world. I knew that we were drawn to come back to the Twin Cities, but we had finally settled in in Rochester. I was not looking. I was not looking. And so I said, ah, this is frightening to me. (laughs) But there we were. We were talking all the same there at this party. And when Justin brought up the open ministry position here, I said something that I am embarrassed about now, but... There we are in the moment. And I said, you know, I'm like 95% sure I have no interest in coming and joining you on this team, so why don't we just chat? So, awkward. I don't know why he continued to talk to me after that. (laughs) But he did, because he's a generous-hearted man. But there in that honest moment with nothing to lose or gain, we really shared from the heart. We talked about our visions for ministry. We talked about how we hope to live, how we hope to raise our families. We talked about all of you and how you embody the universalist spirit of love and hope in who you are and in this congregation. We talked about the way that love is present in everything in this church community, from birthday parties that we celebrate together to social justice initiatives. We talked and talked and talked for hours We talked the next morning over breakfast, and before I knew it, I was texting him as we were boarding the plane back to New York, I'm all in. I'm I'm here if you want me to come. (laughs) And I'll tell you, this was not something I saw coming at all. This was a huge surprise for me and for our family. And I think so often in our lives, there are moments that come our way, surprising moments that aren't really good or fun like that at all, right? They're the hard ones, the surprises of illness or death or loss, moments when something comes our way, like Jeff said earlier, and it feels like the wheels are coming off and we need to pull over and reassess. Those moments happen all the time. But it also happens that we get surprised sometimes by joy, by opportunity, by things we didn't see coming. Maybe it's a spark within that we didn't know that we had lost. Maybe it's love lifting up its head from our tired or troubled hearts. Maybe it's an opportunity or a door opening that we hadn't seen before. And there we are, stunned, finding ourselves saying the exact same thing we say when things are hard sometimes. I didn't see that one coming. Sometimes it's a cosmic smack upside the head, a cosmic two-by-four, as one of my friends calls it. But it can also be an experience of wonder, the experience of the stars at night, of beauty. Sometimes we are just stunned by life, by the fact that we are here at all, that we are well enough to experience it, and we pause to say thank you for this opportunity. Whatever causes these moments in our lives, whether it's an experience like a hard one or an experience like an amazing one. These things happen that open doors and shift the direction of our lives. And all of these moments share something in common, something so important. They have a way of burning away all the extras and focusing our attention and keeping us clear about what matters. We feel alive there in the midst of whatever change is coming our way. 
There's a member of my previous church out in Rochester. She's a scientist, a devoted Unitarian Universalist, a leader within that congregation and the larger association. And she used to greet me almost every day as I was walking down the halls of the church. She would be there too. And she would greet me with this simple statement. Change is part of life, she'd say. If you're not changing, you're dead. Change is life. If you're not changing, you're dead. And she'd say that as she was leaning on her cane and making her way down the hallway. Then she'd pick it up and wave it around, always with the last sentence. I don't know why so many people are complaining. If you're changing, you're alive, she would say. She was a member of our church there for more than 40 years. She'd seen everything come and go, all the ups and downs. She'd say this phrase whenever we hung up a new banner in the sanctuary or, God forbid, put a screen up for worship. She'd say it when we took on a new social justice initiative or when we reluctantly put one to bed. She'd say this phrase to herself when something happy or when something difficult was happening in her own life. If you're changing, you're alive, she'd say. If you're not, dead. Very simple. (laughs) I loved the way she greeted me with this truth every day with this matter-of-fact wisdom that she had. It was a way she had of embodying what I think was one of life's central truths. It's also a central teaching of Buddhism, the idea that all of life is change. It is clinging to an illusion of certainty and stability that causes us so much pain in life. I think on some deep core level, we know this. We know that change is life, that change is always happening, but still something in us craves predictability, stability, a plan. Most of us, myself included, operate under the illusion that planning keeps us safe, that if we know what our next step will be and keep our provisions close at hand, everything will be okay. And it's true that planning is very important. It's helpful as a guide for us. It's good to have safety nets in place if possible, but planning can't be everything. And most of us, I think, find that if we pursue it, if we pursue safety and security above all else, we find that we're following an illusion rather than following our real life. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody whose life has gone exactly the way they planned it out. It certainly hasn't happened for me, And I'll bet you have seen the exact same bumper sticker I have seen out there that says, life is what happens when you're busy making plans. I know it's trite, but I think it really is true. Our lives don't follow any kind of script. And when things don't go exactly as we have planned, it helps to be able to shift gears, to let go of the story that we've been following, and to open ourselves up to some new way to some new experience and information that is unfolding right in front of us. In those moments of good or hard surprises, it helps to let go of what we thought was going to happen and to let in grace. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got came from my colleague in ministry in Rochester when my mom was going through her final illness. I went down to care for her over those last few weeks and he said, Here's your spiritual job, Jen. Look for grace. In the midst of all of this, look for grace. Find the places where somebody surprises you, where kindness comes out of left field, where something happens that you didn't see coming that can sustain you. Look for grace. It was great advice. And I've found that no matter what is going on in my life, whether it's a big moment like that or whether it's a smaller one, 
the advice holds true. Look for grace. Look for those surprises. Now, one of the places I draw inspiration and wisdom, and you may not know this, is, is from improvisational theater and from improv actors. I tell you about this because these actors, I think, do a good job not only of acting, but of living. They come out on stage together without pre-prepared lines or scripts, and they create characters and stories seemingly out of thin air. I know that when I've seen these great improv actors and comedians at work, I think, I could never do that. They combine like two of the world's worst fears in one experience, <laughs> public speaking and no plan. It's terrible. <laughs> I don't know who came up with this idea. <laughs> but people love it, and I love watching and the energy that comes through in these moments. Patricia Madsen, who's an actor and professor and an author of a book called Improv Wisdom, she says that improvisation doesn't have anything to do with what we think it does. It doesn't have anything to do with glibness or wit or comic ability. A good improviser, she said, is someone who is awake, someone who is not entirely self-focused, someone who is moved by a desire to do something useful and to give something back and who acts on this impulse. This sounds pretty good to me. Somebody who's awake and alert, someone who's not entirely self-focused, someone who's moved to give something back and who acts on that impulse. These are the, good, the great characteristics of somebody who's good at improvisational theater. I think they're also good characteristics for those of us who are trying to live a spiritual life. Sharon Salzberg, the renowned Buddhist teacher and scholar, tells a story in one of her books about her first experience of improvisation in her spiritual life. She says she was a college student preparing for a year studying abroad. Everybody else in her class was going to these well-formed, you know, well-rehearsed internships or study abroad programs in England or France or Italy, but not her. She, was she had decided she would go out alone to India. The breakout moment of faith, she says, was my decision to travel to India without knowing where to go once I got there. A few days before my departure, a Tibetan Buddhist teacher was scheduled to speak in Buffalo in the city where she was going to school, and she says, I, I decided to go. After his talk, he asked people to submit written questions. Mine just happened to be the first piece of paper he picked up out of this giant pile. He read the question I had written out loud. In a few days, I am leaving for India to study Buddhism. Do you have any recommendations as to where I should go? <laughs> he was silent for a few minutes, she said, and then in his precise British accent, he replied, in this matter, you would perhaps best follow the pretense of accident. In this matter, you would perhaps best follow the pretense of accident. That was it, she said. No names, no addresses, no maps, no directions, nothing like that. She goes on to tell the rest of her story throughout her book, and she tells us about how once in India, she followed the advice of this unknown teacher, this idea to follow the pretense of accident. She traveled from place to place. She made her way all over the country in search of what she needed. She relied on the kindness of strangers, and she stumbled at times, wondering if she would ever find her way. She says she was attending one 
conference in particular, a week-long conference on yoga, and she said people were so unkind to one another, and it was such an awful conference, that she began to despair there in that week that not only would she never find her teacher, she just wouldn't even find a decent person in the whole town. But there on the last day of that conference, somebody mentioned that Ram Das would be teaching at a meditation retreat across the country. And she said she hit the road and headed over there and found who would be her teacher this man who helped her to deepen her practice and open her heart and give the many, many gifts she has to this world. She had followed the pretense of accident all along the way. Now, improv players would explain Sharon Salzberg's success in many ways. They would point out that without even knowing it, she had followed so many of their cardinal rules. She had taken risks, she had made mistakes, she had said yes again and again. She had paid attention to what was right in front of her instead of what she had hoped to experience, and she stuck with it. She stayed in the game. Even though she found herself disappointed and confused at moments, she kept showing up, kept on following the pretense of accident until she found her way. We don't always know where we are going in our lives. In fact, I think more often than not, we have no idea. And at times, life will surely throw us a curveball or two that we couldn't have expected. But underneath all of that, I think we have so much to lean on. Inside of us, we have a compass, an internal compass, a steady center that holds despite all else, a sound, a song inside we can hear if we listen closely. It's with us, this wisdom that is at our core. It's with us whether we're 20 years old and traveling alone across the world. It's with us whether we're walking the streets of our own neighborhood or whether we've gone on what we think will be a typical vacation to see family and friends. This core is with us. When the ground beneath us shifts for good or for hard reasons, we can take a deep breath and remember this. We can know that we are alive. We can let the clarity of the moment come to us as everything else burns away. And we can lean in to what is most important for each of us. Maybe it's love, maybe it's the creation of beauty, maybe it's integrity, maybe it is giving back. Whatever it is, it is reliable and trustworthy and we can lean on it and each other. Our spiritual task, as I see it, is to loosen our grip, to let go of our expectations at times, to let go and to lean in to what is, what is right in front of us, to say yes, to be awake in this life. May it be so, and amen.